This is the Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, August 6th. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Risa Del Judas. What happened in the horrific explosion in Beirut that killed at least 100 people and wounded 4,000 others? Jim Phillips, a senior research fellow for Middle Eastern Affairs at the Heritage Foundation, joins me on the Daily Signal podcast to discuss. Don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now, on to our top news. Sally Yates, a former Deputy Attorney General in President Obama's administration, testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee Wednesday. In her testimony, she said that both Obama and former Vice President Joe Biden did not try to have an impact on the FBI's review of then-incoming National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. During the meeting, the president, the vice president, the national security advisor did not attempt to any way to direct or influence the investigation, Yates said of the January 2017 meeting with top national security advisors in the Oval Office. Politico reported that Yates' testimony went against claims from President Trump that Obama and Biden tried to investigate Flynn as the incoming national security advisor. Yates also said that she did not remember Biden mentioning the Logan Act, an antiquated law from the 18th century that is meant to keep private citizens from meddling in foreign policy, which was the main reason for the FBI investigating Flynn. The Department of Justice dropped Flynn's case in May. Here is an exchange between South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham and Yates about Flynn and the Logan Act via C-SPAN. Now let's talk about a January 5th meeting. Was the vice president there? Yes, he was. Okay. Did he mention the Logan Act? You know, I don't remember the vice president saying much of anything in this meeting. So you don't remember him mentioning the Logan Act? No, I don't. President Trump joined Fox News' Fox & Friends on Wednesday morning and shared his opinion on how schools should handle reopening this fall. Let's take a listen to what the president had to say. My view is the school should open. This thing's going away. It will go away like things go away. And my view is that school should be open. If you look at children, children are almost, and I would almost say definitely, but almost immune from this disease. So few. They've got stronger, hard to believe. I don't know how you feel about it, but they have much stronger immune systems than we do somehow for this. And they do it. They they don't have a problem. They just don't have a problem. I mean, literally, in New Jersey, where you had thousands, many thousands of deaths, the governor, Phil Murphy, told me, good guy, too, by the way, but he told me thousands and thousands of deaths. It was hard hit. There was only one person under the age of 18 who died of this, and I think that person also had diabetes, a young person. Uh, It doesn't, and especially when you get younger than that, it doesn't have an impact on them. And I've watched some doctors say they're totally immune. I don't know why I hate to use the word totally because the news will say, oh, he made the word totally and he shouldn't have used that word. But the fact is that they are virtually immune from this problem and we have to open our schools. The president did add that older teachers might need to stay home this fall in order to protect their health until a vaccine is available. Congressman Chuck Fleischman is asking Attorney General Bill Barr to investigate the vandalism inflicted on Catholic churches across the country in the past weeks. In a letter to Barr, Fleischman said, 
Since June, there have been nearly a dozen reported attacks on Catholic churches around the nation. These disturbing attacks range from arson to the beheading of a statue of the Virgin Mary. I find these attacks to be a disturbing trend happening in multiple areas across the nation, including within my own congressional district, Fleischman wrote. Statues of Mary and Jesus have been beheaded and a satanic symbol was painted on a church to name a few of the incidences of vandalism. The violence and vandalism comes after the death of George Floyd on May 25th. Writer, activist, and Black Lives Matter supporter Sean King tweeted June 22nd, Yes, I think the statues of the white European they claim is Jesus should also come down. These are forms of white supremacy. Tear them down. New York City is cracking down on out-of-state travelers by setting up checkpoints at the main entrances to all five of the city's boroughs. New York State, along with Connecticut and New Jersey, are continuing to require a 14-day quarantine for anyone entering the state from an area reporting more than 10 cases per 100,000 people on a seven-day rolling average. 34 states are now on this mandatory quarantine list, with Rhode Island being the latest addition on Tuesday. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio said during a press conference Wednesday per Bloomberg Quick Takes that the checkpoints are being implemented to keep the city's case numbers down. So starting today, we're going to do something new in New York City. We will have checkpoints at key entry points to the city. Travelers coming in from those states will be given information about the quarantine. They will be reminded that it is required, not optional. They'll be reminded that failure to quarantine is a violation of state law, and it comes with serious penalties. In fact, under certain circumstances, the fines can be as high as $10,000. So this is serious stuff, and it's time for everyone to realize it. If we're going to hold at this level of health and safety in the city and get better, we have to deal with the fact that the quarantine must be applied consistently to anyone who's traveled. The announcement of the checkpoints comes just one day after New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced that New York City had no COVID-19 deaths for three consecutive days. Cuomo said in a statement Tuesday that our progress in New York is even better than we expected, thanks to the hard work of New Yorkers. But we need to protect that progress. It's a critical time in our nation's history. Now more than ever at The Daily Signal, we're committed to equipping you with the best information and insight we possibly can. And to do that, we need your help. By sharing your thoughts and suggestions through our five-minute online survey, you can help The Daily Signal improve our reporting and reach even more Americans with the message of freedom. Find the five-minute survey at dailysignal.com survey. Again, that's dailysignal.com survey. Now stay tuned for my interview with Jim Phillips on the horrific explosion in Beirut. I'm joined today on the Daily Signal podcast by Jim Phillips. He's a senior research fellow for Middle Eastern Affairs at the Heritage Foundation. Jim, it's great to have you with us on the Daily Signal podcast. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Well, so on Tuesday, there was a really huge, tragic explosion in Beirut, which is the capital city of Lebanon. Can you bring us up to speed, Jim, on what happened? Well, the Lebanese government has launched an investigation, and the preliminary indications are that there were 2,700 tons of ammonium nitrate 
in the harbor, which exploded. And ammonium nitrate is commonly used in fertilizer, but it's also used to make explosives and build bombs. It looks at this point like it was an accident, at least the explosion, although it remains unclear what started the fire that led to the explosion. But in the past, there have been many huge uh, explosions of ammonium nitrate, including in the United States. In 1947, a ship carrying about 800 tons of ammonium nitrate, much smaller amount, exploded in Texas City at a dock in Texas City, Texas, and it killed more than 400 people. Uh, there's also been explosions of that substance in France, in China, and in 2013, there was uh, a Texas fertilizer plant that exploded, killing uh, 15 people. So although uh, the explosion is suspicious, uh, it is common for industrial accidents to happen with this very dangerous substance. Well, on that note, um, on Wednesday, AP reported that Lebanon is putting unspecified number of Beirut port officials under house arrest after this huge explosion, and that the move comes amid speculation that negligence was to blame for the blast that devastated uh, the Lebanese capital. What is your perspective uh, on their response and what they're saying here about how they're putting all these officials under house arrest? Well, there were reports that uh, the Lebanese authorities confiscated uh, this ammonium nitrate from a ship in 2013 that was traveling from uh, Georgia to Mozambique. Uh, and I think the reason the government is focusing on negligence is because that huge amount should not have been stored so uh, apparently casually in a port for all that time because it did pose a threat to any nearby people. Initially, many people suspected this could be a sign of the growing tensions between Hezbollah and Israel. And Hezbollah has been known to smuggle weapons through the port, and it, it may have owned the warehouse where uh, these explosions happen. And if so, it may have been uh, holding on to this explosive material to uh, use it against Israel, either in some of its missiles or in bombs or IEDs. So that could have been motivation for keeping such a, a dangerous substance in the port. Well, overall, Jim, uh, looking at everything that's happened so far, uh, the different uh just what the Lebanese president has said, as well as others in government. What do you think of the response of the prime minister and others in uh, leadership roles? Well, first of all, let me say the prime minister is walking on eggshells because uh, the Lebanese government is extremely unpopular with a huge uh, portion of Lebanese people. Uh, and the prime minister, Hassan Diab, is... Uh, seen as kind of a puppet of Hezbollah. Hezbollah is the not only the, the largest military militia in Lebanon, but it also uh, plays uh, a very powerful uh, behind-the-scenes role in propping up uh, this uh, unpopular Lebanese uh, government. Uh, so 
I, I think one of the reasons he seized on negligence as an issue is that it's a way of responding to the crisis and appeasing uh, many Lebanese that are up in arms about this, as well as, you know, systemic corruption and mismanagement of the Lebanese economy, is this allows him to blame port officials rather than Hezbollah, uh, if Hezbollah was involved in this uh, huge uh, explosion. Jim, how likely do you think it is that Hezbollah is involved? I think it's very likely it's involved one way or another. I don't think it set off the explosion because it controls substantial parts of the port of Beirut and and that would be hurting its own interests. But I think it definitely had an interest in tapping into that ammonium nitrate for its own purposes for uh, terrorism and military clashes. It has been known to uh, be looking for ammonium nitrate in through Syria. Uh, and, you know, we'll never know now, but I'll bet uh, that uh, a substantial part of that ammonium nitrate was already uh, siphoned off by Hezbollah for its own purposes. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think Hezbollah will face a backlash by the Lebanese people. They're already fed up uh, with its, you know, very arrogant behavior and the fact that it, it has dragged Lebanon into repeated clashes with Israel uh, in order to serve the interests of Iran, not Lebanon. And and I think in the long run, uh, this will be another uh, point against Hezbollah. Uh, but in the short run, Hezbollah is in, in substantial control of Lebanon. So I think it will do everything it can to uh, block a full investigation. Well, Jim, Amnesty International, they're calling for this explosion in Beirut to be independently investigated. Would you agree um, with what they're asking for? I think that would be a good uh, move in part because it's not just, you know, foreign observers that distrust the Lebanese government, but it's also the Lebanese people. And I don't think they will be satisfied if there's some kind of a whitewashed uh, job done here. Well, what should people know about Lebanon and its role in the Middle East uh, as this happens, as well as how the area and politically there might be changes coming due to what all has happened? Well, Lebanon was once uh, seen as uh, one of the most cosmopolitan and tolerant uh, uh, democracies in the Middle East, but it has unfortunately fallen into uh, very polarized and bitter factional struggles uh, between uh, many segments of its multi-ethnic, multi-sectarian society. There's a very weak state, uh, which is ruled by a corrupt oligarchy, uh, not only Hezbollah and its henchmen, but other sects. There's 18 religious and ethnic groups in Lebanon, and many of them have their own political parties that when they join the government, they get control of a, a, a cabinet department, and they really milk that department to uh, 
sustain their own constituents uh, and felt in their fellow ethnic and religious groups. And that has been a formula for incredible uh, corruption and economic mismanagement. It's also led to a huge political explosion in uh, last fall when many Lebanese people, including Shia that normally would support Hezbollah, uh, protested in the streets against the Hezbollah-dominated government. Uh, so there's an economic crisis, a financial crisis. Uh, over all of that, there's this COVID uh, epidemic or pandemic that has really uh, destroyed uh, Lebanon more than most other countries. Uh, Lebanon also uh, is burdened with an estimated 1 million refugees from Syria who also are very exposed to the virus. Uh, so it's not a very pretty picture. Well, Jim, how likely do you think it is that there might be shifts of power because of what's happened here? That, I think, is a $64 question. Um, I mean, if I was more optimistic, I would say in the long run, the Lebanese people will uh, rise up and form a better government. But the problem is, it's so easy for uh, Hezbollah leaders and other leaders of other ethnic and religious communities to uh, demonize the other factions and uh, refrain from making the, the very hard sacrifices that will be necessary to uh, put Lebanon on the right you know, economic uh, and political path. And lastly, Jim, I mean, not only has the city been changed uh, in the way it appears due to all the buildings that have been leveled and all the lives that have been lost following this explosion, but how else do you expect the city to change? What are the um, things do you see coming down the pike as it tries to recover from this? Well, I think it's going to be very difficult for it to recover from this because in the past, Lebanon was bailed out uh, despite its... Uh, incompetent and corrupt government. It was bailed out by the rich uh, Arab oil states of the Persian Gulf or by France, uh, which was uh, which was the colonial power that gave Lebanon independence, uh, or by the IMF and World Bank. Uh, but now, because Hezbollah is such a power behind the throne, uh, the United States uh, and the Arab uh, oil kingdoms uh, and many Europeans are reluctant to uh, give uh, Lebanon more aid uh, because it's just wasted the aid in the past and there's no sign of real change. So unfortunately, I think as long as Hezbollah uh, is in a position where it dominates Lebanon, all Lebanese will suffer. Jim, thank you so much for joining us today and for bringing uh, perspective to this situation. It's been great to have you. Well, thanks a lot. And that will do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. And don't forget, we need your help to continually improve your podcast experience. So please be sure to head to dailysignal.com survey, or you can click the link in today's show notes to take a five minute survey. Your thoughts and suggestions are critical to our work for America. Thanks again for listening and we'll be back with you all tomorrow.
The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.